and so privileged to be here with you. And I'm just excited about what God's going to do. You know, the awesome thing is that He's here. He's here, and it's not a mistake that you're here. By His divine plan, you are here this weekend. And I guarantee you this, if you have an ear to hear and an eye to see, God is going to minister to your heart. The awesome thing is that He knows every one of us intimately. He knows our cares, our worries, our desires, our circumstances. He knows everything about it. And I guarantee you, ladies, that He wants to meet you here this weekend. When you take time from your busy life to come apart and spend time with Him, He meets you. He ministers to you. And that's what I'm excited about, to see what God's going to do in us, every one of us. So let's have a word of prayer before we start. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this new day. I thank you and praise you for who you are, that we can legitimately trust in you and rest in what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for each one of these precious ladies that you have brought here safely. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, that you want to speak to our hearts. We thank you that you love us so much that you have plans for us that are for good and not evil to give us a future and a hope. And Lord, I pray right now that you would give each one an ear to hear and an eye to see. I pray, God, that you would take our hearts and our minds and center them on you. Enable us, Lord, to just push everything else out of the way, to just listen to your still, small voice. And we thank you, God, that you desire to minister to us. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's an interesting thing because when people think about joy and being joyful, they typically think about good times or good health or my children are obedient and happy. Uh, my husband maybe is happy or, or I'm happy in my circumstances, all of that. The lack of problems. That's what we typically think of when we think of joy. I think I'm being honest. When we think of joy. And I can be joyful if everything is going my way, right? That's not what joy is all about. That's what our joy is all about. Because our joy is dependent on our circumstances. What we're going through. If I'm happy, if things are going my way, I have joy. If not, I'm sad. I don't have joy. I'm sorrowful. But that's not true. Because you see, the biblical joy... That biblical joy sustains me even when my circumstances aren't what I would desire them to be. Even when life is difficult. Even when, instead of having the cherries, I have the pits. God is faithful. Joy in the Bible is different. It's a quality, not simply an emotion. We think of joy as an emotion. You know, they have the movie, Pursuit of Happiness. Pursuit of Happiness. I have to pursue it. I have to find it. Well, I'll tell you what. In Jesus, you can have joy because of who He is. Trusting in Him. Trusting in His promises. Trusting in His grace and His mercy and His love. That is what brings me joy. My parents were missionaries in Brazil. They came home for a six-month furlough when I was in college. I had just graduated from college. And on their way back to Brazil, their plane crashed in Chile. So one Monday afternoon, well, actually Monday night, 
I received word that my father's plane had crashed. My mom, my dad, and my sister had been killed. And my little brother, who turned 14 the day of the crash, had survived the crash, and he was in Chile in the hospital. You know, that's not something that you expect. I remember when I said goodbye to them and hugged them for the last time, I didn't realize it would be the last time. I didn't realize that I would be facing that in my life. But you know what? God did. God realized. God knew. God was with me every step of the way. God was with them every step of the way. When they breathed their last breath, they left here, but they were instantly with Him in heaven. You know, it's an interesting thing because their plane crashed right across a road that leads to a statue in Chile called Christ of the Andes. And I thought, how appropriate. They were right there in those mountains. It didn't take far to get up to heaven. <laughs> Instantly, they were with him. My little brother, who was just a typical, just-turned-14-year-old, was suddenly in a hospital where people spoke Spanish. He, he spoke Portuguese, but not Spanish. In that hospital, wondering where his parents were. And a nurse came up and he said, in Portuguese, he said, my parents, my parents. And she understood and she said, they're dead. Just very point blank. He was in a room that was a room that was used for babies, where they would display the babies. So there was a big picture window. And he was in the mountains where there were a lot of people who had never seen a little white boy like he was. And they would come in front of the window one day looking at him. He remembered that very vividly when I finally saw him in the States a week later. But let me tell you what. God was faithful to that little boy. God was with him. Even though he had every reason to be petrified, God was with him. God was with him every step of the way. When he came back to the States, a lady from the embassy in Santiago, Chile, she was an American nurse, and she came back with him. And she wasn't a Christian. But all the way back, this little boy kept telling her about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? He never told anybody before about Jesus. But at that moment, God was so faithful to be there with him and bring him back to the States safely. And when he told us of the whole ordeal, he had such a peace. That peace doesn't come from anywhere but from God. Joy in the midst of of sorrow. Our God is a God of comfort. He's a God of peace. I remember some of the doctors that went in and, and were working on him because he was burned extensively. He had first, second, and third degree burns all over his body. In particular, his arm. Because when the plane crashed, the door was removed, but his seatbelt held him in. That was God's plan. If he had been totally in the plane with the door shut, he would have burned to death. But had he been flung out of the plane, he would have been killed. The seatbelt held him in. So he had to have this arm and undo his seatbelt so he could get out of the plane. So he was going through a lot of treatment for burns, which are very difficult. And the doctors kept saying, he just seems so peaceful. And one of the doctors said, did he have a good relationship with his parents? He, he seems, you know, he's, he's not really upset. And I said, you know what it is? He has the peace of God. So even that little 14-year-old, God could use him as a witness in the midst of a very difficult situation. 
Years later, my daughter, my 19-year-old daughter, was in a relationship with a very abusive man. They were in a car, and he was hitting her. And she tried to get out of the car. We don't know exactly what happened because nobody was in the car with him and nobody saw it. But he later said to the newspaper that he was trying to teach her a lesson he didn't mean to kill her. Um, they charged him with second-degree murder. I got a phone call. They said, your daughter's been in an accident. Go to the hospital. We went to the hospital, and when we got there, she hadn't arrived yet in the ambulance. And when the ambulance did arrive, my husband ran over, and he took one look at her, and he knew it wasn't good. And shortly after that, the emergency room doctor came to me and said, we can't find a heartbeat. I never in a million years thought that it would be that serious. I thought maybe she hit her head and she would be fine, maybe have a concussion. But those words, we can't find a heartbeat. You know, the amazing thing was, there was a lady in that emergency room. They were not from the county I live in. But her son had been in an accident that day. And they took him to that hospital. She wanted to go home to her doctor. But they went ahead and took him to that hospital, and they were waiting in the emergency room for treatment. She was a brand new Christian. She'd only been a Christian a few months. And as she was sitting there, she saw the things that were taking place around her. She saw me and my husband. Didn't know who we were, but she saw us crying. And she turned to her son, and she said, You know, I feel like God wants me to go and pray with that lady. He said, Mom, go ahead. She said, I don't know her. He said, go ahead. So she came over. She came on the side of me, and she started praying for me. Another lady came up who only spoke Spanish. She started praying in Spanish, which I do understand because of Portuguese. So I had one over here praying in Spanish, one over here interceding in English. And then she was saying, who do you want me to call? Found out later, that lady had gone to one of the retreats where I had spoken a few months before. Isn't that incredible? God had her there to minister to me. And she said, it blessed me so much to know that God had me there to minister to you as a brand new Christian who didn't know much, but God had me there and he used me to be there for you at that time. Our God is so faithful. When the doctor called us into the emergency room where my daughter was, we immediately started praying over her. And then they quit the CPR, and the line went flat, just like in the movies. That was a hard, hard thing. But I want to tell you, my God was with me every step of the way. You see, the week before, God gave me a passage of Scripture. I was praying for my daughter. In fact, Abigail and I had gone to a retreat. My daughter Abigail's here. We had gone to a retreat together, and that night at the retreat, the Lord's, we were talking about casting your burdens at the Lord's feet. And we each had a little rock. And we went to the front and placed our little rock on the table as a kind of a token of, this is my burden. I'm giving to you, Lord. And my burden was my daughter because I knew she was involved with this man. And I put that burden down. I laid it down at his feet. Then I went home. And as I was crying out to the Lord that night, the Lord reminded me of the verse that he had given me when she was born. This verse said, don't be afraid any longer. 
Only believe, and she shall be made well. Because my daughter was born a month early. She had all kinds of problems. She was in intensive care. I couldn't even hold her. They took her right from the delivery into intensive care. And I had been in my hospital bed. They told me she might not make it. And I said, oh God, just, just give me a promise. And I opened my Bible and it fell to that verse. So here I was, 19 years later, in bed, praying for my daughter. And God said, remember the verse I gave you. I said, oh yeah, where was that verse? I remembered it was somewhere in the book of Luke. And so I took my Bible and opened it to turn to Luke. And as I looked down at the page it opened to, it was the book of Mark. And it said the same thing. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe and she shall be made well. I thought, wow. I didn't know it was in two places. And the Lord spoke to my heart and He said, as I healed her as a little baby, I'm healing her now. I'm healing her spiritually. I'm doing the work. Trust me. Lord, I choose to trust you. Not knowing that one week later, I had to trust him that she was no longer here, but that she was with him in heaven. And as I'm sitting there, holding her hand, a lady came into the emergency room where I was. She said, I'm a chaplain at this hospital, but I wasn't supposed to be here today. I had to come pick something up, and I heard about your situation. And I had to come see you because one year ago, my son was murdered in Mexico. And I want to tell you what God spoke to my heart. Let me tell you, she had the most beautiful words to say to me. God knew the turmoil in me, the fear that maybe my God, my daughter wasn't with him. And yet he reminded me through this lady that she was with him. And I could rest in the fact that he said, come home. Come home. Come out of the turmoil that you've been in. The relationship that you can't deliver yourself from, I'm delivering you. I'm setting you free. That began to bring comfort to my heart. And I can honestly say to you that through the next few days before her funeral, God continually reminded me, showed me that she was with Him. That He was a faithful God. That she had, I knew she had accepted Jesus, but this relationship had been very difficult and, and caused a lot of problems in her life. And yet God is so faithful, isn't He? Aren't you thankful that He's faithful to bring you back when you go off on your own trail? Aren't you thankful that He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you can imagine? That's our God. He's a faithful God. He's faithful to His promises. And continually, He would just bathe me in His peace. And I can say, even when we had her funeral, I had the joy of the Lord. Because it wasn't dependent on those circumstances. It was dependent on a mighty, powerful, awesome God. An awesome God who can keep our children even when we can't. A few months later, we had a memorial service for her in Colorado. We had pastored there years before. 
And so we had not only a funeral in California, but we had a memorial service in Colorado. And the pastor got up and he said, I've been praying for a verse to comfort Justin and Jamie in the loss of their father. He said, God gave me the strangest verse. It's in the book of Luke. <laughs> Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe and she shall be made well. You know, God knows exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear it. I about came off of my chair. I really did. It was like, oh God, I know you told him because I didn't say anything to him. He had no clue. That verse was like God's telegram to my heart to say, I've taken care of the situation. So in the most drastic circumstances, we can have the joy of the Lord. The verse in Nehemiah that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because many times our strength will fail. Is that not correct? But the joy of the Lord, the joy in knowing who God is, the joy in knowing I can trust Him. You see, joy comes from trusting God. When I'm not trusting Him, when I'm doubting, when I'm fearing, when my heart is overwhelmed, when I'm anxious, when I'm worried, I lose my joy. I lose my peace. God wants us to have that joy, the joy in the midst of, of all that's going on. Joy is a quality, not simply an emotion. It is grounded upon God Himself and it comes from Him. Joy is a mark of the believer both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as the believer and as the church. True joy is not dependent on circumstances. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 16, 11. Psalm 1611. I do love to give a lot of scripture, and I love for you to look it up. I love to hear the rustle of those pages. Because I think it's so important that you see it for yourself. Not just hearing from my mouth, but what is God saying to me? I also like to write in my Bible. I hope some of you don't feel bad about that. But I love to write things because sometimes the Holy Spirit inside of you will be speaking things to your heart because He knows your heart. He knows your need. I remember many years ago I was praying for Abigail. After her sister died, she went through a really turbulent period in her teenage years. And one day she came to us and she said, Mom and Dad, she had just graduated from high school. She said, Mom and Dad, I need to get away from here. She had some bad influences where we were living. I need to get away from here. And I was looking on the computer and I saw that there's a Bible college in England. Now, Abby, when Abby was eight years old, we came to England. We, came, uh, we had spoken at the, at the uh, conference center in Austria at some German family camps, and one of our side trips was to come to England. And Abby proclaimed at eight years old, after we got back to the States, when I grow up, I'm going to live in England. <laughs> yeah, right. You're only eight years old. What do you know? Well, I think God had dropped that in her heart. So she looked up on the Internet, found the Bible college in England, and she said, I'd like to go to the Bible college. Now, this was December... 
and the Bible college, you know, with the next semester was going to start the 1st of February. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, can we get this put together? Well, you know what? God had a plan. God had a plan. And he had given me a scripture in Hebrews. Don't turn to it, but I just want to tell you what it was. Hebrews, and it's chapter 6, and it's verse, excuse me, it's chapter 10. Let me give it to you. It's chapter 10, verse 16. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And I wrote Abby's name, and I wrote the date. You see, I wanted to do a work in her heart as a mom. I want to do a work. I want her to know God and love God and walk with God. And I want to pour all this stuff into her. And you know what? I can't be the Holy Spirit in anybody's life. You ever felt like that? You want to be the Holy Spirit? Well, you're going to shake them up. I want to tell them what they're supposed to do. Grab them by the neck. No. I want to change them. Change their thinking. Rearrange their brain. But I can't do that. And God said, I will do that. So I wrote that that uh, date right there about that verse. Well, God had started dealing with her heart. And when she got to York, to the Bible college, God really did a whammy. Wow. He did what he said right here he would do. He really dealt with her heart and brought her to himself, brought her to her husband. Oh, God is so good. I'll never forget when that young man called me and called my husband and he said, I would like permission to court Abby. You want permission? This is great. And a few months later, I want permission to marry Abby. You know what? That would have been a shocking thing, except that when my husband first met that boy, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, this is the man for Abby. He came home and told me that. I said, what? In England? A man for Abby? Whoa. That's a good thing. I didn't know that was in that verse. <laughs> I just shared that because I was, you know, many times the Lord will speak to your heart. Not audibly, but you'll read a verse and it'll just kind of jump out at you. Oh, wow, this is the verse I need for this situation. And I'm so thankful I wrote that day. I found that verse about a year later. And I said, oh my God. Did you ever have plans for her? You were so true in what you said here that you would write your law on her heart. And now he's going to be a pastor. <laughs> I tell you what, he just gives me the whipped cream and the cherry on top. He's a great guy. Anyway, back to Psalm 16. I was just a little rabbit trail, I had to tell you. Okay, Psalm 16. Verse 11. Oh, let's go back up to verse 9. No, let's go to 7. It's so No, let's go to 5. It's so good. I just think we have to read it. Isn't God's word good? I love it. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You want to taste some good stuff today? Honey, you had a great breakfast, but this ain't, it ain't nothing. Okay, verse 5. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Don't you love that? You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. 
My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Have you ever had the Lord speak to your heart in the night as you're sleeping? I have another son-in-law who my daughter led to the Lord when she was in college. And several months after that, they started dating. And I'll never forget, he came to visit us. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's the strangest thing. Sometimes when I lay down in my bed, I start hearing these songs in my mind. God was giving him songs in the night. And you know, they were theologically correct, which was amazing, because he, had, he was a brand new Christian. And he would, he would say, it says this, 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 this. He didn't even know there was scripture to back it up. The Lord was speaking to him in the night. Sometimes in the night is the only time he can get you quiet enough to speak. Right? I used to love being in the shower. Nobody was with me. I had five children. That was hard to accomplish. And I thought, when I'm in the shower, it's just me and the Lord. Oh, I can talk to him and I can be still and listen to him. He loves to speak to us even in the night. I have set... The Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Do you know what lies ahead in your life? No. But God does. He knows the turns in the road. He knows the storms. He knows the difficult places. He knows so well. He's right there and He says, you shall not be moved. No matter what comes, you shall not be moved. You're going to be like that tree planted by the waters. That when the storms come, when the heat comes, that tree is not moved by the storm. You know, I lived in Mississippi when Hurricane Camille, many years ago, Hurricane Camille came through and hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I had stayed there the week before in a motel. When they took the cameras and came down that beach showing the devastation from the hurricane, the motel I stayed in was gone. Nothing left. I used to think, where did all the bathtubs go? <laughs> Some farmer in another state was probably going, where did these bathtubs go? <laughs> because that hurricane had picked them up and taken them away. It picked up a big ship and brought it to the shore. They couldn't even get the ship back out in the water. They turned it into a restaurant. That was clever. But you see, that hurricane had ferocious winds. There was one thing that remained in the ground. Old oak trees that had been planted many, many years before. Because you see, there's something about an oak. Its roots go very, very deep into the ground. And as it's deep in that ground, even those devastating winds that lifted buildings and lifted ships could not lift those oak trees. They remained in the ground. God says you will be trees of righteousness, trees planted by God. But here's the key. Look what it says. I have set the Lord always before me. Are you doing that? Are you setting the Lord before you continually? By being in His Word. By communicating with Him in prayer. By having fellowship with His people. This is how we set the Lord before us. And as we do that, as we continually set Him before us, then we won't be moved 
We will have joy in the midst of the circumstances. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in what? Hope. We have hope. We're not as the world, depending on the world for its hope. There's no hope in this world. It's a hopeless situation. Sometimes we hope in other people. Women have hoped in men to make them happy and secure. And one day the guy comes in and says, I don't love you anymore. You can't hope in anybody. I can't even hope in myself. Have you ever done what you would not do and do what do not what you would? I, I mean, I remember one day I was reading Romans 7 and I was reading how Paul was saying, I do what I would not, I do not what I would. And I'm thinking, I'm there, I'm there, I relate. Oh, wretched man am I, except for Jesus. Hallelujah, we have Jesus. We have Him. He is my hope. Not myself, not this world, not others. He is my hope. I can legitimately hope in Him. And therefore, I can have rest. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You, oh God, will show me the path of life. And then here it is. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. You want joy? You feel lacking in joy? Go into His presence. I remember not too long ago I was struggling with something. You know how it is when you're struggling with something and you try to go to sleep and it doesn't happen? You can count sheep. It doesn't work. And I was in turmoil. And I thought, I'm not going to get any sleep. I might as well get up and go and just get my Bible and just start getting in the Word. Man, that is the greatest cure. Because as I got in God's Word, He just filled me with His hope. He filled me with His peace. I got my eyes off of the circumstances back onto Him. It's better than a sleeping pill. If you're lying in bed and all these things are overwhelming you, I remember when I used to teach school, I would lay there and think, oh, I should have disciplined that kid. Oh, I may have disciplined that kid too much. I'd go back and forth and up and down. When we pastor a church, oh, what if we go to church tomorrow and nobody's there? I mean, just it's incredible the things that the enemy can attack you with. I remember I was on a plane one time. Abigail was in the third grade. She was having a hard time reading. And I'm sitting there on the plane, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, she's not going to pass the third grade. She can't read. She'll never read. I haven't played the phonics game with her enough. All these things. And just like that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, have you prayed about this? No. He said, did I not give Solomon the wisdom that he needed? Don't you think I can give a third grader wisdom to know how to read? Oh yeah, you're right. And I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down, Abigail needs to read. And I gave it to the Lord. And you know what? She can read. 
there was somebody else in the garden who also encouraged her to eat of that fruit, to disobey God. Oh, Eve. <laughs> I noticed you've been looking at the fruit again. <laughs> I know, Eve. Mean old God. He said you shouldn't eat of the fruit because you see Eve. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? 
So that when God looks at you, He doesn't see all the sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus if you've accepted His gift of salvation. So the promise was made in Genesis, but all these, it says in chapter 11 of Hebrews, died without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. They had to have faith that one day God would do what He said He would do. And He did. In Galatians 4 it says, In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. It says in John, 1, John 4, 1 John 4, In this is love. Not that you love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. You know what propitiation means? It's not exactly a word to use every day, is it? You don't talk about propitiation. It's hard to say. But listen to what it means. It has two meanings. It's awesome. It says this. Giving the sinner who believes perfect righteousness. You, in and of yourselves, do not have any righteousness. The Bible in Isaiah says your righteousness is as filthy rags. That literally means used menstrual cloths. Yuck. Today we would say tampons. Used ones. That's your righteousness. The things you might point to and say, I'm good, I'm good. I went to church every Sunday. I gave to the Lord. You don't have any righteousness. It's filthy rags. See, in Israel, when a woman was in that time of the month, she was considered unclean. Don't touch her. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> I don't want to be touched. <laughs> Stay away. You know? I know I haven't cooked for a while, but I don't know. My food would be unclean. <laughs> and, and then, in order to be considered clean again after she was through with that time of the month, she had to go present an offering to the priest. Would that not be fun? I have five daughters. Can you imagine the flock of doves I would have every month of pigeons or something? But he used that to say this would equal your righteousness. Unclean, you don't have any. I'm solely dependent on the righteousness of Jesus. But he has given me his Righteousness. I stand in His righteousness. When God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's a praise God, isn't it? Hallelujah. Now, it says, giving the sinner who believes perfect righteousness. Second meaning, satisfying God's justice. You see, God, one of the attributes of God is holiness, justice, righteousness. He's a holy God. He doesn't have a relationship with sin. No. He's a holy God. And His holiness demands holiness. But I, in and of myself, can't be holy. I just found out. I have no righteousness. It's impossible. But you see, when Jesus died and His blood covered my sin, now I have satisfied God's justice by the blood of Jesus. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus. That's an awesome thing. It's a great trade-off, isn't it? Wow. Give Him my sin, and I stand in His righteousness. So, it says, In this is love, not that you love God, but that He loved you 
and gave his, his son for the propitiation of your sin. He took care of it. 